0: This is so good to read the word together before we're about to dive into it. Uh, We're going to read the whole chapter today. Ready, set, let's go. Another time, Jesus went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. As he stretched it out, his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot at, with the Herodians, how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew from his disciples to take a, to a lake, and a large crowd from Gal- Galilee followed. When they heard about what he was doing, the people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idurnium, and the regions across Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon. Because the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonergris, which means sons of thunder, thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house and gave again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went out to take charge for him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand if a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, and they are guilty of eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked around those seated in a circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mothers. You may be seated.
1: Thanks, Divy. Gosh, Debbie gets the award for winning the most, for reading the most scripture uh, at once. Well done, and well done you guys. But it's a big chapter, there's a lot going on, it's kind of got everything in it today. It's got the, the appointing of the, of the twelve, it's got some controversy about the Sabbath, some family feuding going on, you know, it's got that, that part about the eternal sin, oh my gosh, we're going to get to it here. And I think that we're going to see through the pages of scripture today in the translation uh, by the, uh, Eugene Peterson, at, at the end he says, obedience is thicker than blood. You know that old saying? It's actually a Scottish saying that blood is thicker than water. You've heard that meaning that, that our, our families, our earthly families, are, are in the end the ones that will remain even if friends fall away. But there's something that is even thicker than that, something that is thicker than blood those with whom we are in covenant community Um, and and we're going to get to that in a second i just have a very short pulpit announcement i just remembered praise god can i have up on screen the slides about some stuff coming up in the life of the church we have this thing every monday morning buzz is opening up the chapel um, and he's having this time of soaking in the lord together scripture and song it's amazing people have been super blessed and then we've also been having these monthly meetings getting together and Uh, seeking the Lord for revival nothing less than revival will do and so that's what we're seeking him for and in that regard uh, coming up this week actually uh, Movement San Diego on October number one at the base of Oceanside Pier you know there's that amphitheater a guy Josh Garrels a well-known musician is coming out there's going to be evangelists there teaching Uh, it's going to be great grab your friends those who don't know Jesus yet take them out for dinner come on down Uh, please it's going to be amazing And then, also a month from then, all the churches of North County are getting together for the Encounter Night. Same venue, Uh, we're going to be coming together. And God has been doing amazing things. One of the uh, the guys he works with a city, I believe, um, but he he said this. uh, He's not coming from a Christian faith background, but he said, uh, what was it? He said something about it. It felt like the darkness was fleeing. Think about that, right? (laughs) Oh gosh. So anyway. Stuff is going on in the life of the church, and uh, please be about it. Why don't we get into the Word of God today? We've got a fair bit to cover. I think we can do it. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for this sermon series, God. I've just been floored again. I just want to follow you again, Jesus. I ask that today, Lord, that you'd be speaking through the words of Scripture, that you'd diminish my voice, you'd amplify your voice. We've come to hear from you, just Jesus. We want to, we want to hear from you, Jesus. So be speaking today. Father, uh, clear our minds, at least my mind. Let my wits, both of them, Lord, be be used for your purpose. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So in a group of this size, there's folks who've got all different backgrounds and understandings of this concept of Sabbath. Some of you are thinking, yep, that's right, have a Sabbath, a day, a week of rest. Others are like, what even is that? I mean, it sounds weird. It sounds sort of vaguely religious. I don't know. And so I've had a, a mixed background with it, I guess. Um, uh, way, way back in the day, uh, my family, generations back, were good old Methodists. And there's a story about my great-grandfather going as he was courting my great-grandmother. He brought around a box of chocolates. And they were sitting there on the porch. And uh, she said, did you buy these today? It was a Sunday. And he said, yeah. She got him. She threw him over the fence, <laughs> because not only not only was he sinning going out and buying them on that day, but even worse, could there be anything worse? He had caused somebody else to sin on that day by working in the chocolate shop, right? So then, fast forward through the generations, and uh, mum and dad were secular humanists, atheists, and all that. Before they met the Lord, and they were sort of radically saved into a community that was saturated with grace, just love and kindness, and and the grace of God. And then, so I grew up in that, and then, you know, I was in corporate law where it's all about karate chopping the throat of whoever it is you're going against and you're working, you know, 150 hours a week. And then I left that and I ended up in ministry, and I took wrongfully that attitude through to ministry. And I remember there was a time, it was early on in the time I was working uh, in ministry, and and my my mentor said, I need to see you, and I need you to write down a list of all the things you're doing in a week, because I was crazy I'd be like, I wouldn't even stop for lunch. I'd get a can of stew and I'd pull the lid off, you know, those pool can things. I would chug it as I'm doing an email, on the phone. I'd run between meetings because you get your fitness in, plus you get there quicker, it's great, you know. And he, he liked the chocolates. He took one look at my thing and threw it over the fence. This is ridiculous. You're going to burn yourself out. Because God has made us to have these natural rhythms of grace in the creation narratives uh, God created the earth and then he had a day of rest. It's good for us. It's nourishing for our souls. The trouble comes when we add to it. We add legalism to it. We add human tradition to it. And that's a little bit the setting that we're going to begin with here. Can I have a photo up on screen, friends? It's like of the, uh, the synagogue in Capernaum. And you saw this a few uh, weeks ago in Ryan's just great... Man, I've been so blessed by, by Ryan's uh, bringing of the word lately. I've just been blown away. Um, but you saw this before. Someone was clapping over there. One, yeah, come on. Everyone put around together for Ryan and the wonderful Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And so this is Capernaum, right? This is a synagogue in Capernaum. And this is where we are again. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue. Except that think about it like this, there was, it wasn't open of course, it was, it was covered in and there were lots of nooks and crannies and that's going, to be, that's going to be important for us as we see this. The setting, as Ryan talked about last week, was that Jesus had been sort of coming to a point of friction. As his fame had been rising, so had the opposition been rising and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, you know, like jealousy and the fact that he was upturning the apple cart. One of the ways that he was doing that was that he was pointing out the religiosity. And he said, actually, guys, you've got to remember that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I, the son of man, am Lord even of the Sabbath. He's employing this ambiguous term, the son of man. Throughout Ezekiel, it's used of just a man. But then in Daniel chapter 7, it's used of one who is high and righteous and lifted up the only one who can stand before the Ancient of Days. And and the emphasis is on us, on on who do we think Jesus is. So he uses this ambiguous term, but he says, the Son of Man, meaning himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. And here they're in the synagogue, and there was a man with a shriveled hand, a man with a physical disability. And even in our day, there's sometimes where folks like that can feel as outsiders. They are not. And here in our Jesus community, you are not. If you are carrying some physical disability, we love you, and your other abilities far outstrip that. right? But sometimes that can be the case. This man's here with a shrivelled hand. and in that culture, it was a tough thing because not only did it um, often you know uh, disenable you from being able to do physical work, and, and typically, you know, agrarian economy, if you could physically do things, then so it had economic. Um, you know distress that it would cause for these folks but also often there was a social stigma that attached to it as well and then there was this thing this sort of overlay on it where there'd be a spiritual overtone where there'd be some folks that think well they must have sinned or maybe their parents sinned that the person was born like that i wonder where this guy was standing do you think he was standing behind one of the pillows uh, pillars in the in the shadows Just waiting, just, i just got to try and see Jesus. If I could just touch him, maybe. Maybe I'll be healed. This word of his healing is, is spreading. This guy is there quietly hoping, hoping that the Lord will heal him. But I don't think everyone who was there were glad that that guy was there. And I wonder, and what I'm about to ask next, please don't look to the left and to the right. But I wonder who you think, honestly, who, who you think shouldn't be here in church today? Their politics is wonky. How can they even believe that platform and you call themselves a Christian? How can they have that ethic or how can they live that lifestyle? How can they be in that place? And they, and they have the temerity to be here in church. Now, I know none of you guys do that. But sometimes some people somewhere do that. The reality is, if that's our attitude, then really the problem is is right here. The Jesus community throughout history has been known as radically inclusive, open to all. We're all on a journey. We're all broken. God is healing us. There is nobody who is excluded for for any reason. It does well to think about. The man's there, and you see in verse two, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They wanted to accuse him. You notice a little bit says, so they watched him closely. Now, here's the thing. Uh, We often look for reasons to accuse Jesus. Something didn't go right. The marriage didn't go like we hoped. The job opportunity, well, that didn't work out. And we have these little things. And I had something even this last week where something came up. I forget what triggered it, but I'm like, yeah, I'm bummed out about that. Why did God do that? Ironically enough, they had the right... Answer to that, they watched Jesus closely. That's what we ought to do. But what I want to say is this. If we have things, resentments, hidden resentments, things that are in our hearts uh, against the Lord, don't leave them there in the dark. Bring them out into the open. God's chest is big enough for our fists to beat off of. I think he loves us enough. He will speak to us through it. You may not get the answer. I'm not going to lie. You may not get the answer as to why The person died or why the marriage ended you may not get the answer but I do believe that if you watch Jesus closely there'll be healing in it here their motivation though of course was impure they wanted to see what Jesus would do they were looking for a reason to accuse him because they were jealous of his notoriety and you notice as they watched him they watched him closely closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath not if he could heal but if he would heal they knew, even then, they knew there was something about this guy that, that he was tapping into a power source that was far beyond their mere religiosity and their mere human traditions. And they watched if he would heal. And what does Jesus do? He says to the man with the, the physical disability, he says, Come out here. Can you imagine being that guy? I, I, I think, I don't know, I'm extrapolating, but I think that guy would have preferred to have stayed in the shadows. He's called out in front of everyone. What that guy's in the synagogue? What I would say is this, friends: um, we have a tendency as humans to want to suffer in the dark, because we've all got shrivel bits. All of us do. Physically, it might be; emotionally, spiritually, there's all of us do. I certainly do. And my tendency is to want to go deep into a cave and to be there by myself. That's not the way of covenant community. Obedience is thicker than blood. What does obedience look like in that circumstance? To come up for prayer at the end of service. I'm often shocked after just unbelievable words of God that like, you know, four people dribble up. I'm not telling you off. I'm saying you guys must have everything together way better than I ever could have imagined. It's great. But in the safety of places, not telling everyone everything all the time, that's just an annoying person. But I mean like being someone who, in the safety of your home group, in the safety of your covenant community, having folks pray for you, being in each other's business, allowing our shriveled past to come out. Would we allow Jesus to do that? This guy is called out by Jesus. And Jesus asked him, he said, well, what's lawful to do on the Sabbath? Is it to do good or to do evil, to save life? Or to kill? What what is it? Now, according to the the Mishnah Shabbat, like the the human tradition that had been added to the word of God... The the rabbis, especially the conservative ones of which the Pharisees were a part, said there is only one, really one excuse on the Sabbath to not have Sabbath rest, and that is someone's life is in immediate and imminent danger. This guy was obviously struggling, this guy had a, a, a physical disability, but he wasn't about to die. Ergo, some, he was not part of the exception. But Jesus is getting to the quintessence of the law. What is the quintessence of the law? It's that people would get to know the Lord. People would be nourished by having a Sabbath. And he is Lord of the Sabbath. What do they do? When he asks them, they do the chicken dance. They remain silent. Because they're kind of caught. Because if they say, well, yeah, it would be compassionate to do that, then they'd be going against their traditions. But if if they said, well, you really, I mean, according to the missioner, you you should do this and so on and so forth, they would be heartless. How do we allow our religion to get in the way of doing the right thing? Now, church, you guys don't. You're amazing. The way you guys pour yourselves out with the homelessness initiatives coming alongside those folks and the anti-human trafficking stuff and caring for refugees, you guys are amazing. But this old guy, he's got to watch out. Honestly, there's times, I'm confessing this, where I lack compassion. I'm a selfish introvert. And so there's times when I... I've been praying to the Lord lately, actually, that He would give me, break my heart more with compassion. And um, near where we live, there's a lot of uh, homeless folks. And, uh, and I was driving the other day. And... Um, And I was at the lights and there was a a woman who was pushing like a trolley full of stuff that at least from my perspective didn't seem to make sense. It wasn't like logical that it was in there. And she was speaking out loud and she was in a place of distress, you know. And this stuff, not you guys, this is me. This stuff rises up in my, oh, I wonder what terrible decisions they've made to be in that spot. And I suppose it was compounded by probably some other stuff that other bad decisions people have made. And I get in this narrative, you know. And then something happened, and I don't know how to describe it, other than a breaking of my heart. But I started to think about what would, what could have happened in someone's life that they end up in that place, and. Um, and Aussie men don't cry. So I, I certainly, you know, I, I, I'm not entirely sure if I cried or not. But I, I, was, I was struck down by God in this, yeah, we need accountability. Um, we need compassion. Friends, we need more compassion. Don't let our religiosity and our right thinking and our lifestyle and our worldview get in the way of having our hearts broken. Folks out in the world are, are wandering around. They, they may not know Jesus yet. They're wandering around in the dark, they're bumping into each other, they're bumping into furniture, they're hurting themselves. Jesus here has a reaction to them that frankly is very sobering, should be sobering for us. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts or grieved by the hardness of their hearts, some translations say. Rule of thumb. When the king of kings is angry, it ain't good. The king of kings is, is angry. And, and his anger is righteous anger, not like almost all of my anger. And you know whether anger is righteous anger or unrighteous anger by its fruit, right? You, you know that. And, but here, he, he, he's angry in his hearts. Their hearts are hard. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out it, and, and he's healed. What was their reaction? Stoked, high-fiving. Did you see that guy's hand? It was amazing. Now it's healed. He can come and work. And hey, buddy, when you come down and... The perversion of it. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. These unholy bedfellows of the Pharisees and the Herodians the keepers of the law and the fundamentalists and, and, you know, the the good Bible thumpers over here. And then those who were into the, you know, political ascendancy and using the Machiavellian means to get power and whatever we talked about a a few weeks ago, They, they became united. Ever heard the saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? They had found a common enemy in Jesus who they hated for different reasons. They wanted to bring him down. Friends, this it's it's sobering. Do we ever do such and like? You guys don't. You're wonderful. I need to watch out. What happens here? Jesus withdraws. Can I have the photo up, friends of the the boat? who draws in this large crowd from Galilee, and they're coming from everywhere. Debbie did a great job reading out the names, but from north, south, east, and west. They're coming from all over. Well, not really west, because you hit the ocean pretty quick, but they're coming from all sorts of places, and some of these places are very Jewish places. Some of them have a bunch of proselytes. Those have converted to Judaism. Some of them have a lot of, um, of uh, non-Jews there, a lot of Gentiles there. The point is this, that the Jesus' fame is spreading it's like a wildfire this guy teaches with authority this guy he heals folks it's amazing what's going on and he and he asked his disciples to to get a boat so that he could speak to the crowd out of the boat but what i want to focus on is the kind of the air of desperation down in verse 10 he he healed many so that those with diseases were, were pushing forward to touch him of course they were they're desperate They didn't care what it looks like. They want to move forward and press in to touch him. whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he silences that. Don't you wonder why? Theologians talk about this thing called the messianic secret, which has some truth at least in it that Jesus held off letting people know who he was until close to the end. Um, When he was on the cross, actually, a centurion who saw the way that Jesus died on the cross said exactly the same thing. Surely this is the Son of God. But mostly he didn't let them speak. Here at least I can think for two reasons why not. Firstly, it wasn't the right time. All these people, he was a pin cushion for their hopes. They had these hopes that he would do this and this and this... But that wasn't why he was here on earth. Obedience is thicker than blood. What was Jesus' obedience? Well, certainly to heal some folks, but even those folks eventually would die. Certainly to cast demons out of some folks, but those folks also eventually would have to stand before a God of perfect love with their sin. Now, if you've been dragged here by a friend who I bet you loves you, but you're not into the whole Jesus thing. This little 20 seconds, this is for you. Then you can ignore me for the rest. The reason Jesus came was to be the sacrifice for our sins. He was born into earth. God in the flesh. In carne, or the joke, incarne asada. He was Jesus, was God in the flesh here on earth with meat on. God with meat on. And he lived this. This life without sin, his closest mate said, there was no sin in this guy, not ever, not even once. Because of that, he's the only person ever who could be our substitute on the cross. On the cross, he took our sin, he took our shame, he took the awful things you've done, the awful things that have been done to you, and he finished with them once and forever. He said, teteleste, it is finished, it is finally paid for. There is nothing more to pay for. You do not have to pay the price for that stuff. He took our sin, he gave us his righteousness. They call it the great exchange. That's one of the reasons, I think, why Jesus said, no, 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 you don't get to say that. And another reason, I think, is just frankly, because I don't know, the witness of demons, that kind of shaky ground, I don't know about that. But what I would like to point out is that the demons knew, they know who he is. Like it says in James, well, you reckon, you know, that, uh, that there's one God? Well, that's good. But even the demons believe that as they shudder about it. My, my point is this, that just because you know about Jesus, well, the demons know that, just even because you know Jesus, they, they knew who he was. It's following Jesus. It's not just knowing about him, it's not just knowing him, It's following him, like Ryan's great sermon from a couple of weeks ago. That's what makes the difference. Here, be quiet. And then there's a gear change. Before this was what's called the early Galilean ministry, where Jesus is doing these amazing things, and and those who are following him, he's like, watch me do this. From here on, the gear change happens to what's called the later Galilean ministry, where he he is saying, come with me and see me do these things, that in turn you may do them. That's where it's going to go. And that's where maybe two or three gears down the line, it ends up at us. But here, he he points to 12, um, that they might be with him, that he might send them out, and that they might have authority. Friends, can I have up on screen? It's like a, a thing with lots of circles on it. Um, yeah, here we go. Perfect. So I just want to... Um, briefly park on this and talk about the kind of relational dynamics that were going on for Jesus and in turn us right so there was the crowds there was many thousands who were seeing him and it's breadth and reach right you can see what's going on then then in in Luke 10 it talks about him commissioning 72 to go out uh Jesus had more disciples than just these guys There was 80, 90, 100 disciples we don't know, some of whom we won't ever know the names of, but even through Scripture, others, Joseph Barsabbas, Clopas, Matthias, Susanna, Joanna, Mary Magdalene, women, yes, yea, verily, there were women in Jesus' disciples, right? And at a certain point in the ministry, he sends them out to do his work. But within that, there was a tighter bunch, the bunch who is mentioned here, the 12, the 12 apostles, and you notice there's a real intimacy with him. He's got nicknames for some of them. Peter the Rock, you know, later went on to some movie fame in Hollywood. And there was, you know, uh, James and John, the Sons of Thunder. And some people, you know, energy. some people think that that was because of they were like bold nature, maybe. I think it was because there was a bunch of guys out camping and they had bad flatulence. But either way, there's other names here. There's Thaddeus, there's Simon the Zealot, there's all these, and there's, you know, Thomas Didymus, Thomas the Twin. It's indicative, what I'm saying is indicative of tightness of relationship. Same as in Australia, it's the same here. There's this tightness of relationship and nicknames that come out of it. By the way, uh, I did my uh, US citizenship exam last week. And, uh, yeah, well, thank you. Uh, you're assuming I passed. Thank you. And uh, as it turns out, I did. So, so some of you were praying I would. Some of you were praying I wouldn't. Um, but there were more praying that I would than wouldn't. But my, my concern right now is that my wife hasn't done it yet because we had to juggle the kids. So she's doing it next week. So right now I'm concerned that I might be cohabiting with the enemy. Um, but I don't know why I'm going there. Anyway, so... There's this tightness, there's this friendship, there's this is going on, and and there's the twelve. But then there was the core within it, right? You know that that um, that in all of the lists throughout the Gospels, which are the biographies written about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and also in Acts about the apostles later on, but but Peter and James and John are always mentioned first. And they're like Jesus tight tightest of tight sort of guys he takes them up to this place called the mountain of transfiguration where um you know god the father appeared and and also in gethsemane the night before he's uh crucified um they are there they're these ones who are right there with him so you see this see that there's breadth there's, there's depth and impact at that point this is the nature of jesus relationships and this is just my scribblings right can i have the next slide because i think um it it talks about us what are our circles of relationship what would it look like for us to have obedience that is thicker than blood well okay and i've used all c's you probably noticed because if you can't preach in c's, then you probably ain't preaching right but um with key points but and i cheated because coffin i mean pallbearers who are your pallbearers who are the six people have you thought about it who are going to be carrying your coffin like who are your tightest of tight mates or maybe in a positive sense, if you're married, have kids. Um, who do you get to invite onto your table? Because, you know, you're paying for the party for all these strangers you don't know. And, but, but who are the ones who you're going to have fun with on that day, right? Who is that? Some of us are really strong on different of these. But I'm going to get to the point to challenge us to grow in each of these. Some of us are strong on that. What about your homies, your covenant crew, those you're in covenant with? Your small group might be 8, 10, 12, probably 20 or less or so folks you're doing life with. Do do you have that? You know, there's so many um, cell groups and home groups here in North Coast Calvary. We long to get you plugged in, not only for the blessing it'll be for you, though it will be, but the blessing that you will be for others. Some of you are great at this. I suck at this because I'm a selfish introvert and I don't want people knowing my stuff. What about those sharp edges that I've got? I'm kind of pretty keen on that sharp edge i don't want that one knocked off that guy's got a chisel you know you get what i'm saying some of you are great at it then our community there's communities within the community of north coast calvary there's our bottom line business community there's the christian surfers guys there's the guys who go away camping there's there's all sorts of and is there 80 100 150 i don't know but folks you know everyone because the truth is that there's some folks here who i'm looking at and i actually don't know your name we might i might have said hello to you if not please um Okay, come on up but in a, in a group of this size let alone online and our the other parts on campus we can't know everybody but there's folks that, where we are known where we are kind of in cahoots together and then there's the big times when we come together it's not bad small churches are not bad or good some are good and bad big churches are not bad or good we're kind of middleweight but where we get to come together to collaborate and to celebrate, to celebrate what God's doing through his word, to collaborate on things. Like on us caring for refugees in the Middle East, in a small group, you know, like your cell group, your home group, it would be really hard to do that well. Yet as a church, we can do that. We can make a, a big impact and we also get to come together to celebrate. So do you see where I'm going? There's different dynamics and it's not legalistic, but, but at which point of those do you need to augment? At which point of those are you thinking about here you notice that jesus appointed 12 that they might what they might be with him intimacy discipleship is about the who it's not about the what primarily it's about the who the people doing life with each other being in each other's stuff knowing each other in and out that why that he might send them out it's chiefly missional the point of it is, Mark Foreman often says, we don't just say yep to Jesus and then boink up to heaven. No, 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 we're here on earth because we're here to live radically missionally, to pour ourselves out for the world around us who is in dire need. And And he also gives them authority to cast out demons in, in the Matthew parallel. It says also to heal the sick, also even to raise the dead. But we're given God's authority to do it. Now, you'll notice down, uh, and then it goes through the, the, uh, the apostles and so on for another time. But then the family come to Jesus, and, and these guys, uh, it's actually a sandwich. You'll notice that this talks about the family, then it's got the part about the Pharisees, and then the really odd part about the Holy Spirit blaspheming, and we're going to get to that, and then the family appears again. Mark often does this sandwiching, right? But here, the, the, the issues with Jesus' family are introduced. They think he's gone a little bit bonkers. He can't even eat, he's in this house, they can't even do it. Imagine, you know, Mary Magdalene, I think of her like a New York Jewish mother, he's not even eating right, you know, and uh, he's stuck in there and and so on and so forth and they come, what is it, 25 miles or so down from Nazareth to rescue him. The literal translation is, those who belonged to him or who he belonged to, his people, my grandfather would have used to say on the farm, they're his people, they've come to grab him because he's lost his mind those who were closest to him what a difference a resurrection makes right? because later on james who wrote the book of james and and jude who wrote the book of of jude uh, jesus brothers or half brothers through mary and so they come to follow him but here they think he's bonkers but at this point let's go and let's talk about for a brief second let's talk about those who also came to get him and these guys came down from jerusalem maybe 80 miles away four or five days walking across dusty roads these are the honchos right the poobahs from jerusalem who have come we are going to squash this little upstart from galilee i mean it's the boondocks it's not even somewhere important it's the middle of nowhere and this guy coming, he's not even trained under a rabbi. Who is this person? And they come and, and you see they say to him that he's possessed by Beelzebub Now as a little sideways note on this, uh, that, that name doesn't appear in outside Jewish literature. But most theologians think that it's, it's, a, it's a play on words. Can I have that photo up? It's like a really revolting looking photo of like a fly. I don't know how else to describe it. Okay there was this um, 18th and 19th century French guy um, called Jacques Collins de Plancy. And he, um, actually, he was an occultist and a demonologist. Yeah, it's a thing. And um Anyway, actually, later on, he got radically saved by Jesus. Cool story for another time. But he did this thing. He, he, he wrote a demonology talking about all the different demons and the hierarchies and stuff. A lot of it is, I don't know, um, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. We just don't know. But this is his depiction of Beelzebub or Beelzebul. It's a transliteration uh, from, from the Hebrew out of, I think it's Second Kings chapter 1 of the, the king of Ekron, which was uh, Baalzebub. Right. Anyway, but, the, but it became this meaning, depending on how you said it, it could be like a real sort of snarky comment about Satan, a real snarky name for Satan. Because whilst Baalzebul, sometimes used, depending on how you say it, means king of the house, Baalzebub, depending on how you say it, can mean lord of the flies. You know, like the book, lord of the flies. Or R.C. Or Sproul says lord of the dunghill, the prince of poo. That's who Satan is. They say, Hey, by the prince of poo, this guy's driving out the demons. And Jesus calls them over to him and he rebukes them good and hard, he gives a short shrift. He says, This is stupid for two reasons. One, why would Satan drive out demons? Just doesn't make sense. Even on prima facie, on the face of it, what you're saying is just ridiculous. He openly, he openly goes toe to toe. Ryan said last week there was a, a reckoning. This is, this is it, going toe-to-toe with the authorities. I mean, they're the, they're the scholars of the land. He immediately says, that is just so stupid. Why would he do that? A kingdom divided will fall, a house against itself. It's not going to work. And then, and then he goes into this parable about the strong man. And he, and he says, you know, you can't come and steal from a strong man. What you need to do is you need to go in and you need to zip time to something he never uses like his Peloton. And, you know, because during, during COVID you used it, but now, I mean, it's just sitting there. And, um, and then, and at that point then you can go and you can rummage through his drawers and you can, uh, you know, undo his plasma screen TV. It's a parable by contrast because of course Jesus is not a thief. But Jesus is saying, the implication is, I am that strong man. Satan has power. He he does. And friends, uh, if you're freaked out about the demon stuff, just wait till we get to chapter 5. Also, it's okay, because Jesus is stronger. Satan has power. Jesus is stronger. Jesus can overcome as much as as, uh, we are out of our league spiritually, and we are. Friends, it's okay. In Christ, we are protected. In Christ... We shall prevail okay but but jesus is saying i am stronger than the strong man is what he says and then there's that part about blaspheming the holy spirit and a lot of ink has been spilt on this i have a pretty um simple interpretation of this well i don't know simple is the right word but it's not complicated let me here jesus said this because they had been saying that he was full of evil spirits, right? I think it's misascribing to Satan that which God is doing. Doing it persistently, doing it insistently across a long time. If you die with that belief, then before the Lord, um, that's, that's it. That's the eternal sin. Now, people have got different opinions on that. You're welcome to go and read them. But I think it's more simple than people make out. And I certainly want to say this. If you're one of those dear ones and you're like, wow, well, I really want to follow God, but what if I find out at the end, whoops-a-daisy, way back when I did the eternal sin and everything else doesn't matter. I I, I need your heart to be at rest because, dear one, here's the thing. If you are worried about it, it proves that you haven't fallen foul of it. It's only the arrogant ones. The ones who think that we get to decide what God can do. And we get to determine, well, no, Satan's done that healing. And, oh, well, that words, that's, that's from... Like, it's only, it's only the arrogant ones who need to watch out. But if you're worried about it, be at rest. There's a whole lot of stuff we could talk about there, but on time. We don't have time. So I want to get to this final part, which is about the family feud. The family feud that goes on. The parents come down, and they're like, he's gone bonkers. And we need to rescue him from himself. These poor other people that he is, you know, liar, lunatic, or lord, they think at this point he's lunatic, and okay, we're going to protect him, and, and they're outside the house, and this is the, the, the bottom end of the sandwich, and this is where we're going to end today, um, here, they're standing outside, I wonder if they're calling out to Jesus, and uh, and the guys say, hey, hey Jesus, you, your Mars here, and your bros, you know, do you got to go out and kowtow, and you know, eat the Reuben sandwich they've got you or, or, or whatever. And, um, and he looks around at them. He says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. And he, he looked at those seated in the circle around him. So it's a, that he's sitting there and he's talking with them, sharing deeply. He says, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God, God's will is my mother and brother and, and sisters. And that's where Peterson translates it. Obedience is thicker than blood. And I want to say this. I want to invite the friends to come back out here, their worship leaders. And by the way, they're not a band. I've heard some people call that. It's not the band. These guys are leading us in worship as we worship. And this is not a stage, and I'm not a, you know, I'm just uh, a guy who's sharing from the Word of God together. We're all in this together. That was my point. But um, what I want to say here is, as we end, is that Jesus is not diminishing. Uh, earthly family he's elevating an understanding of spiritual family and covenant community those groups that we talked about before are you really in covenant because i see dudes who are like planted planted in this place ripped out planted in this place ripped out planted in this place ripped out planted in this place i mean i'm talking in my eight years or so here i've have deep friends who have been in three or four different spiritual communities and it hasn't been like heresy or they've moved state or something like that it's been because I don't know they didn't like the drapes or there's some annoying Aussie guy who speaks or there's you know the worship wasn't right or the coffee wasn't hot I don't like they're ripped out and they're planted ripped out planted ripped out planted and friends uh, we will not bear fruit like we should we should if that's us. So what would it take for us to go deeper? Obedience that's thicker than blood on the cross, Jesus said to John, he said, John, this is Mary. Mary, this is Jesus. This is your brother. This is your rather your son. And this is your mother. He said he cared for his mama on the cross. He wasn't diminishing earthly family. He was increasing, elevating an understanding of covenant community. And friends, let's all rise to our feet here as we all worship together here. Um, I, I want to, um, you know, we've got a house full of folks at the moment. We've got some friends from Iran who were staying who, who were um, fleeing persecution. We've got um, a Christian surfers guy staying who came back from WIWAM. We've got another Christian surfers guy who came back fleeing the persecution of bad surf in Florida. And, um, and, uh, and one of the guys last night, or the night before, We're sitting and he said you know sometimes in church as a single person you can feel like an outsider um and i just want to explicitly speak against that because a um sometimes an unchallenged lie can feel like a truth by assumption i I want to explicitly say if you were pre-married or post-married or maybe that's not god's uh, will for you and you're fine with that to not ever be married you are vital to this church. You are valuable and loved here in this church. And families, let's do a better job of incorporating others. And forgive me, friends, if I've, um, you know, said um, analogies that too often are around family and things. We love you, single folks. We love you and we celebrate you. And the other thing. Yeah, yeah, good clap, yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to say, as we sing this song here together as we end, let it not be that that we are going to hide our junk behind the pillars. Let us come out and get prayer. In our small groups this week, let's get prayer. As we're hanging out with our friends, let's get prayer. Because there is something that is amazing when God's people covenant together in true community. And this last week, we had some friends who lost a baby. It was just hard to describe the devastation you know and my wife and I were praying with them and um, and she said this thing And know as, as we're ending here and as these guys are leading us as we all worship together I want us to think about this this, this, this woman said you know if this had happened a year ago I would have shut up shop and run back to my, my earthly family she said but here I'm cared for I'm known there's folks who are weeping with me, folks who are cooking us dinner and stuff like that. There's a power, friends, in covenant community. I think we're on the precipice of it. I'm not, we're not even into it yet. I think it's untapped. So as we sing this song, purpose in your hearts. Ask the Lord, what is one of those layers that, that you want to grow me in, Lord? What's it going to take? What sacrifice is it going to take? Just follow Jesus. He's the waymaker. He's the light in the darkness. He's the one who will take us to that place if we honestly come to him and ask, what are you doing in me? What are you doing here individually and com- collectively, communally? What are, you, what are you doing in me, God? Let me pray a blessing then I'd ask a favor. We've gone a little long. If you've got kiddos to just scuttle out and grab the little munchkins, all right, that'd be great and I won't be in trouble with kids' ministry. But as we end here, Lord, I thank you for the life that is here in this Jesus community. Be working on all of our hearts, my hearts, and these dear hearts here, Lord, revealing to us places that we need to go deeper, Lord. Depth and impact, Lord Jesus. The lives of a few. Father, show us how to be doing that better. Break down the walls of individualism, the things that hold us back, our proclivities, God. Um, you know, social things, embarrassments, Lord. Let us live out prophetically what it means to be your covenant community. Lord, let us understand that obedience in you is thicker than blood. Bless us this week as we go forth and as we be your missionary people together. In Jesus' name, amen.